When you're smiling. Hey, you. Bubbly sparkling water is crisp, refreshing, and perfect for any occasion. Kind of like my voice, but in a can. No calories, no sweeteners, all smiles. Bubbly. Crack a smile. This episode is brought to you by Google. Google's two-step verification was built to secure your account and help prevent cyber attacks, even if your password is compromised. That's why Google has made it easy to sign into your account with this additional layer of protection. Just one tap and you're in. Learn more at safety.google. Hello, movie lovers. Welcome to the Best Damn Movie Related Show here on the internet. This is Rose, as always, from Movie Lovers Unite, John DiGorio. And I just want to say it's an honor and a privilege to talk about movies in front of a virtual water cooler. And for today's podcast, I'm going to be talking about Almost Famous. This movie came out 19 years ago. And then I'm talking about another movie that came out 26 years ago in 1993. And that movie is Dragon, the Bruce Lee story. Then I'm moving down to a couple of things here where I'm going to be talking about Horror movies that are coming out in 2020. I have the whole entire list of movies that are coming out next year. And then I'm moving down to the sixth underground movie review, which is actually Michael Bay's Netflix, straight to Netflix movie with his whole Michael Bay isms with spinning camera angles, wild card chases, and explosions. So I'm going to be talking about that. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. So Almost Famous is about this kid who's kid named William. It's This movie's actually set in 1973. He's a 15-year-old kid and unbashed music fan who is inspired by the seminal bands of the time. When his love for music lands him an assignment from Rolling Stone magazine to interview the up-and-coming band Stillwater. What I love about this movie is the heart and drive this kid has for music and also his passion to write about these bands. As a matter of fact, he was even a small magazine called Cream Magazine back in the 1970s in the movie. And uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman is actually in this movie too. And he's kind of helping him, guiding him along and helping him out whenever he runs into a certain problem when the bands don't want to open, whenever that band doesn't want to open up to him. And he's trying to follow his advice. But not only that, but even if you look at the character of William, what I like about his character is the fact that he has heart, he has inspiration, he has this drive to want to do this interview. And Rolling Stone, back in the 1970s, was one of the biggest things that you can actually write for, especially if you're like a rock fan. And not only that, but he also had a tough time at the very beginning of this movie where, at a young age, his mom actually jumped him up a couple of grades just so that she didn't have to deal with him being a teenager and getting into a bunch of adolescent stuff. So she thought maybe if she sheltered him a little bit and moved him up a little bit, he would actually miss out on his whole entire adolescence. His sister, on the other hand, winds up moving out of the house and she gives him his whole, her whole entire record collection of rock music. And that's what opened the gates for William. And that's what I love about it is the fact that his exploration of rock music and everything goes way beyond anything that he can encounter. And then, of course, he writes for Cream Magazine. Then after Cream Magazine, he writes for... He's get got this gig doing Rolling Stone Magazine. But, here's the thing. I love how they set this thing up where William doesn't know if he's going to be able to even get close to this band enough to even do the interview to begin with. Because he's stuck out in this 
out in the backstage, not even the backstage, he's actually set out into the parking lot, and he's at this gate to where he's trying to get into the backstage area, and nobody's letting him in. As a matter of fact, he was supposed to interview Black Sabbath, and the guard at the gate is not even letting him in to even do his interview with Black Sabbath for Cream Magazine at the time. And then he winds up running into Penny Lane, who's also played by Kate Hudson, and that's how the whole entire thing happens. She's actually one of the band aides. That's what she actually calls herself, but we already know that she's actually a groupie. But anyways, then all of a sudden, Russell Hammond comes in, who's part of Stillwater, and they usher him into the gate. Of course, Penny Lane and them are already inside because the guard already knows them and stuff like that. So he gets in there and... Basically, the band does not trust him at all. They call him the enemy. They're actually afraid to actually see what they're gonna, what kind of stuff that he's actually gonna write, because they actually believe that if you get interviewed by a magazine or anything like that, they can bend and twist things in a way that doesn't make them look cool, or they take things out of context, which we already see how that plays out in today's society. But you know. It's all about the band. It's the love of the music. It's about friendship as well. And that's what I love about this, though, man, is the friendship with the band and the band members and how close they are together. And, you know, it's about, like I said, it's about an upcoming rock group, but there's so much more to it than just that. Like I said, with the friendship and stuff. But another thing I have to, that I really like about this is the fact that Russell Hammond is actually one of the people that likes William. And, you know, he you can actually tell that Russell does have this chill, laid-back attitude, but at the same time, he has a little bit of a cockiness attitude, which is not a surprise coming from a guitar player. Then you have Jason Lee, who's in this, who actually plays the lead singer of Stillwater. And he comes up as cocky, arrogant, everything that a lead singer is, where he wants all the girls, all the attention on him. He can't stand for another band member to actually get the attention or anything like that. That goes with any band, if you think about it, where egos is the main factor. And that's what I like about that certain character is the fact that they actually capture that character in the right way, where these band, certain bands even today will go after, that's pretty much what they are. They go their own egos is what shatters the band to the point where they have to break up, and there's always clashing between the band members and everything else. And another thing that I really loved is the music in this in this movie. Then you also have William. He's trying to get back home too because of the fact he has to graduate high school, and the band members are pretty much not letting him go because of the fact that he hasn't even got his interview yet, and he's been trying to get this interview for a while. And none of the band members even want to cooperate with him or anything like that. And then they get in this whole entire plane uh, up in the up in the air in the plane, and they talk start getting all their feelings out in the open, especially the, the events that happened in this airplane. And then all of a sudden, some stuff winds up happening to where William is getting bashed by Rolling Stone because of certain things that he actually wrote. I'm not going to get into that detail, but if you're looking for heart, if you're looking for a good drive, if you're looking for a movie that's about the music and about trying to capture and live in the moment of a rock band that's trying to up and come up from nothing, 
this is actually a pretty good smart movie. I watch this every single time it's on satellite. As a matter of fact, you can even watch this on Hulu. As a matter of fact, that's where I went on ahead and revisited revisited this thing too. Because I really wanted to actually revisit this movie one more time. Because the music is just so good. Elton John, Tiny Dancers on this uh, movie. And the part that I loved the most was whenever they're in in the bus. And the band. And the groupies. And everybody is singing along to Tiny Dancer. It just shows how much time and energy is brought into music. And how it can actually bring people together. And how people can actually have that bond with music. And that's what I love about it. Is the fact of the bond and the friendship between the band members. Whenever they're singing this song. You can actually feel like that they're actually family. They're friends. They're, they've been on this road and this journey together. To try and be something. And they're wondering if they're even going to make it past a certain time and place. To where they can actually be big. And like I said, this movie is smart. It has comedy in it. You have Russell um, Russell Hammond jumping off uh, off of a house, jumping into a swimming pool. You have Jason Lee yelling at the butt, uh, yelling at them for doing a prank at a prank on him while the bus is running away. So you have a lot of stuff that's actually going on. There's some drama in it. It has a little bit of everything in it if you're into this type of movie. And I promise you, you guys are not going to be any disappointed with this movie at all and I think that you guys are gonna like it because here's the thing I've always loved rock music I always loved heavy metal music especially when it comes down to guitar riffs when it comes down to the actual music experience itself I even like old 1970s bands like Led Zeppelin which also reminds me of Stillwater and where maybe this is where they got the inspiration for it from I don't really know but like I said This movie has heart, it has drive, it has everything that you want in a movie. So check that out if you haven't checked it out, because I promise you, you guys are not going to be disappointed with seeing this movie. Now I'm going to drop down to Dragon, the Bruce Lee story. This movie came out in 1993. Originally, they were going to get Brandon Lee to play the part of Bruce Lee, but he declined it because of the fact that he didn't want to disrespect his father, which I can actually understand why he would do that and everything. So he went on ahead and and did The Crow while Jason Scott Lee, no relationship with the Lee family at all. And a matter of fact, before production even began, Jason Scott Lee also went on ahead and talked to Brandon Lee about playing his dad and he gave him his blessing. Then they went on ahead and made the movie. But this is what the premise is about. This is actually fictionalized. This is not like 100% true Bio, this is not a 100% true biopic of Bruce Lee. I recommend you guys actually read some books on Bruce Lee or do something along those lines. But if you're looking for a, a good, okay storyline with a good biopic with Dragon the Bruce Lee story, it might be your cup of tea. But anyways, but this is what it's about. It's after, actually about after getting into some trouble in Hong Kong, his father gives him some money and puts him on a boat to the USA and goes to college and works in a Chinese restaurant as a dishwasher. While going to college, he falls in love with Linda. He also fights against a metaphorical demon that has been following him since he was a child. You see, it has a little bit of a fantasy horror type thing where you have this... Demon of death, and that's what I'm going to call it, a demon of death, where 
Death is knocking on Bruce Lee's door. Ever since he was little, he's been trying to escape his demons since that time. And it just seems like that demon just keeps on following him everywhere he goes. I love that element to it. I love what they were able to do with that whole entire demon aspect, which is actually something new that they actually did with the biopic of somebody, especially looking at the Chinese culture and everything else and using a samurai as a demon. That was actually a pretty smart choice. Like I said, some stuff is actually going to be fictionalized, which is not a surprise as well, because there's a lot of movies that are actually fictionalized and they actually had to make it into a movie that people can actually watch. But what I have to say this, Jason Scott Lee gives you one of the best performances uh, as Bruce Lee. Because here's the thing, the dude don't have no martial arts experience, but his presence and the way he moves is amazing. It's hard to believe that he didn't have any martial arts training, like I said. And the love story between Linda, played by Lauren Hawley, works great. Like, whenever you first see them in college, you can see the love interest is actually there. You can actually see the chemistry of him falling in love with Linda from, the, from day one. And then, of course, as the movie dra- goes on and everything... He winds up having his kids, Brandon Lee, and of course his daughter. And uh, he's also this big, huge movie star as well. But even in those times and everything, you have to look at how Hollywood actually is, even today. And how underutilized that they actually used his talent and everything. He was pretty much a joke, if you think about it. And the the way that they did everything. But... What I loved about, there's actually a couple of scenes that I actually like in this movie as well. I'm going to get to that in a few minutes. But, you know, I understand some people had some issues with the actor that played Bruce Lee in the Quentin Tarantino movie. Whenever the his daughter was actually complaining about how his her dad was actually being represented, it took me back to Dragon the Bruce Lee story because even the real Bruce Lee will even tell you that he didn't like being perceived as a joke. Especially whenever he went out on a date and he saw how the American audience was actually making fun of Chinese people and Asian people. And he didn't like that. He found it offensive. And I'm not surprised that that rubbed off on his daughter to the point where it's like, where she's saying, well, I don't like the fact that, you know, that he's being perceived this way because he's not how I look at him. And I like that aspect of where you know, where you can actually go back and look at it from that kind of perspective. At least that's how I looked at it whenever I heard those comments from her. And I, as a matter of fact, I was in her corner whenever she said that. So I was on her side because of that. But anyways, back to the Bruce Lee story and everything else. There's a lot of stuff in this thing that's actually hard to believe. Like there's a scene where he's fighting a fighting the dishwashers and the cooks of the Chinese restaurant and he's using the building beams and what he's doing is he's climbing up these building beams and he's fighting these cooks on top of these building beams and he winds up kicking all their butts and everything but it's actually unrealistic because everybody knows that if you wind up doing something like this at a restaurant or whatever, you're going to end up getting fired. You're going to wind up getting the cops called on you, especially when they have cleavers out wanting to kill Bruce and stuff like that, too. So 
But that's actually one of my favorite scenes in the movie. So that, if that doesn't, here's the thing. That didn't take me out of the movie at all. I really thought that it actually brought the plot along to where you don't want to mess with Bruce. And then there's also another scene that I liked where he's actually working on a movie. And you have this actor who just is a pure douchebag. And he's wanting to actually kill Bruce Lee on the set. And they're actually fighting fist uh, toe-to-toe against one another. And the director's sitting there just watching it all happen. And then the part where he breaks the ice was actually pretty cool. Whenever the the douchebag winds up trying to put his head with a Bruce... Um, puts Bruce Lee's head where the blade is actually spinning at with the sawmill and everything. That was actually, I was actually having goosebumps during that time because I actually liked seeing that set piece. And then, of course, Bruce also goes on ahead after everything is done. He goes over there and rips the film out of the director's chair. And based on what I know is, him and that director never got along in the first place, but I don't think it got to that extreme to where, you know, where... You have two actors that are trying to kill each other. I just don't see that, but I know that part is actually fictionalized. But for what it was for the Dragon, the Bruce Lee story, I thought it was good. And then, two, he's also teaching martial arts to Americans, which is something that the Chinese culture does not like, is the fact that he doesn't like them like that, like anybody from their culture teaching them, teaching Americans kung fu or karate or anything like that. Bruce tells him, screw you, I'm going to still do teach some karate whether you like it or not. Then they wind up making this other guy who's supposed to be stopping him from doing teaching students uh, kung fu with, to, with Americans. And if he winds up losing against this guy, he, he has no choice but to stop. But if he wins, he can keep on teaching. So that, there's that aspect. And then... There's a lot of other stuff that goes on with him and Linda. This whole entire movie is just really well built. It's really, it really is a good movie for what it is for back in the '90s, and especially whenever you have someone that's like Jason Scott Lee being the front man instead of just being a co-star like we see most Asian actors are today. I think that this was a really good movie, and Rob Cohan did a really good job with directing this movie. The score is really good with this movie. I have nothing bad to say about this movie other than the fact that maybe some things, a lot of things are fictionalized. But the stuff that's fictionalized it actually brings out the character a lot more and flushes out a lot of stuff that I felt like that needed to be flushed out. I really thought it was good. So if you haven't seen Dragon the Bruce Lee story, I strongly, highly recommend that you guys check it out. Now I'm going to talk about horror movies that uh, 2020. And I have the full list here. We have the Grudge reboot that's coming out in January. And I'm going to be honest with you. If you actually listen to my podcast back when I saw the trailer and everything else, I was not, I'm not sold on it. I'm still not sold on it. I want to be excited for this movie, but I'm not excited for this movie at all. As a matter of fact, this actually takes place excuse me, during the same time that the original Grudge movie came out. And... You know, I like that they're trying to do something different to where they can actually connect the re- uh, the original and the re- and this reboot together. But this trailer is very choppy. It feels like a Texas Chainsaw Massacre remake 
trailer. And why, what I mean by that is every scene has that little thing of where it's doing that little sound effect, doing flashes, quick flashes and everything. I just didn't care for this trailer. It didn't sell me. But maybe if another trailer actually comes out, I might actually be sold on it. But for right now, I'm going to have to say no. And then another movie that's coming out in January is called Underwater. And this movie is actually about a marine biologist and biologists are trapped underwater after their submarine breaks down. And they have to try and survive against creatures that are trying to kill them. This is actually a pretty cool premise in a way because of the fact that you only have one surrounding. You have your submarine and you only and you have the water. And it also has an alien kind of vibe to it where they're actually trying to survive on this submarine while these creatures are actually attacking attacking them from the from the water. And I love that aspect where we actually have a one room scene and that's it. We only have the submarine and we have the water. And like I said, this has like an alien type of vibe to it, but in the trailer itself, you don't really get to see what these creatures actually look like or anything like that. But I'm going to have to go and check this out just to see what these monsters actually look like because I want to see what they look like. And then another movie that uh, is going to be coming out in January is called The Turning. It's a haunted house based movie. It's very it's a very simple premise. And we saw one haunted house movie. You've seen them all. But I'm a sucker for haunted house movies. So I'm going to definitely check this one out in January. And then there's this other movie called Run. It's about a girl who's raised in isolation by, by her mother. And things begin to unravel as she discovers her mother's sinister secrets. And I'm just going to say this. I think this movie is going to be really dark. It's going to be very twisted. Especially what she discovers with her mom and everything. And plus two, being in isolation. That's going to be something new too that I haven't seen before. Besides the whole entire thing where... The, that Netflix movie that I even forgot how horrible that was. But, it, oh yeah, it was Eli. And I didn't care for that because I was expecting a lot more from the kid's disability. Especially whenever he can't get out of the house or anything like that because he's allergic to everything. And then they did a whole entire twist. So I was hoping that they would actually do something with with that with Eli. But with this, it looks like there's no twists and turns with this girl being in a wheelchair or anything like that. So I really want to see the movie run just to see what kind of dark secrets that this girl actually uncovers. Now we're dealing with another movie that comes, I'm really am scared of January because everybody knows if you're a big, big fan in the fan community of movies, this is pretty much the toilet bowl season of dumping movies. And the next movie is Gretel and Hansel, a grim fairy tale. And pretty much if you've seen one Hansel and Gretel movie, you've seen them all. I mean, we all, we had Hansel and Gretel, the the witch movie, and then you also had a couple of other stuff. And to be honest with you, I'm not that excited to actually see this movie at all or, or anything like that. I have zero expectations. But hey, if you guys want to check out Gretel and Hansel, go on ahead. This other movie is called Fantasy Island. This movie comes out February 14th. On Valentine's Day, and it's about a. It's actually based off of a TV show, not horror related, but this movie has a twist to it. Whatever fantasies that they want, it gets twisted. For instance, this one girl had this issue with her bully, with her bully or whatever, and she goes, "If I had the opportunity to go back and talk to my bully, I would wind up killing her." <laughs> 
or something to that effect. Next thing you know it, she's in a room with her bully and they're giving her the option to kill her bully. So every single twist and turn with this movie, whenever you want your fantasy being fulfilled, there's always going to be a twist at it. It kind of reminds me of Big Dazzle with Brandon Frazier and Elizabeth Hurley where every single wish that he makes, he winds up, it winds up being twisted around to where the devil winds up is winding up trying to win. So this is what it reminds me of with the whole Fantasy Island uh, Island thing too. So that movie comes out February 14th. The next movie on the list is The Invisible Man. This movie comes out February 20th. And basically, I still love the movie Hollow Man with Kevin Cos... Or not Kevin Cos... Kevin Bacon. And... This thing with Invisible Man, I was not really thrilled on the trailer itself. I might actually wait until it hits Redbox to actually check this movie out. But hey, if you guys are into this movie, go ahead and check it out. If you haven't seen the trailer, check it out as well. Let me know what you guys think about that. Then March 20th, we have one of my most anticipated movies of 2020 as far as horror movies goes. A Quiet Place 2. I really enjoyed the very first Quiet Place movie because of the originality behind it, because of the fact that it's an apocalyptic kind of movie. Not only that, but there's hardly any dialogue in this movie. Their facial expression says it all. And I want to see what they can do with A Quiet Place too. As a matter of fact, they haven't really gave us a lot to go on. There's not really much of a plot point on what they're doing with it. But it makes me excited to know that this movie's coming out next year. And I'm hoping that they don't do anything different than what they did in the first one. I'm hoping that they still have that whole entire facial expression thing going on to where they both have to be quiet in order to try and survive. And I'm, I'm really am looking forward to A Quiet Place too. Let me know if you guys are too as well. Then May 15th, we actually have the Saw reboot, which is actually starring Chris Rock. And matter of fact, he ended up getting the idea and he brought it over to Bloomhouse and Bloomhouse was blown away with his idea to the fact to where they're like, you know what, we're going to go on ahead and we're going to go give you the money to go and make this movie. So now Bloomhouse is producing the movie. Chris Rock is playing in this movie as a cop and we don't have any idea if this thing's going to be connected with the old Saw movies or if this is going to be a fresh reboot where nothing is connected at all. So I'm excited to just to see what they're going to do with it and if Tobin Bell is going to come back as Jigsaw because I'm hoping that Tobin Bell comes back as Jigsaw because otherwise there's no Saw movie without Tobin Bell unless they're going to do away with the whole Jigsaw thing itself. But there's no Jigsaw without Saw, so I don't see what the point of them not putting Tobin Bell in it or making somebody else a a Jigsaw serial killer. But hopefully this movie will actually be good. And then the next one we have is the Jordan Peele movie that's going to be produced. By, well, it's actually going to be produced by John uh, Jordan Peele, but this movie comes out June 12th, and that movie is Candyman, and Todd, Tony Todd as is going to be Candyman, but we're actually going to have another Candyman in this Candyman movie, and that mo- and that guy is actually going to be the actor who played on Aquaman, who played Black, Black Manta, and I don't know what they're going to be doing with this. It's going to be interesting to see how they actually incorporate two Candymans, because I think it'll be kind of confusing, a little bit concluded. But we're just going to have to wait and see what they're going to do with it. And I can't wait to actually see a trailer for this movie. Just so I can get a taste of what they're bringing to the table. 
so that way I can actually fully on say if I'm going to be committed to this or not. Then July 5th, we had the purge, the final purge. I put that in quotation marks because of the fact that is anything really final with these movies? No. They always wind up finding a way to go ahead and make other movies. And, you know, I really wish that they would stop making these purge movies that are not for me, but... I can understand if somebody else likes them. So, if you guys like them, go ahead. Root for them. Love them. For me, they're not my cup of tea. But I always wind up saying this, too. All movies are subjective. And I'm glad that you guys enjoy them. So, go ahead. Celebrate the fact that you guys are getting another purge on July uh, July 5th. Matter of fact, I'm not sure if this is going to be a prequel, just like the last one. Or if this is going to be a sequel. But, go ahead and mark that on your calendars for July 5th. Then August 14th, we have Escape Room 2, which is actually a sequel to Escape Room 1, which I haven't seen, which I really want to see Escape Room 1. So, there's that movie. And then we actually have a James Wan movie that's going to be coming out August 14th called Maglinet. And if this movie is any better than what the Conjuring franchise is and also what they did with Insidious, I'm all for it. James Wan is one of my favorite horror directors. I'm going to go see it regardless of what the plot's about. Regardless of the trailers, I'm still going to go out and support this movie. Then we have, um, speaking of The Conjuring, (laughs) we actually have a release date of The Conjuring 3, The Devil Made Me Do It, and that movie comes out on September 11, 2020. I talked about this before, and this time uh, James Wan is not coming back to direct this movie at all. But he is going to be producing this movie. His fingerprints are actually going to be on the film surface of this movie. And what I like about this is the originality behind it of the fact that, you know, you have these ca- the, the husband and the wife investigating somebody that's behind bars for a murder that they may not have done because the devil made them do it. And this can actually bring out a thing where either the person can plead guilty or not guilty. And it's dealing with the whole entire court system. I actually like that they're bringing something different to the table. Something new to the element. Of course, too, they're actually going to go on ahead and investigate the house to see if it's haunted. And stuff like that. But I'm hoping that they actually do this. I'm hoping that they actually split it from going to the house and then going back over to the suspect. And say, look, this is what we investigated at the house. This is what we found at the house. And this is and what's going on. Is there a demon inside you? What's going on within the house itself? I want to, and I would love to see them actually do that. Then September 25th is actually going to be a movie called Last Night in Soko. And this is the same director, Igor Wright, who brought us Baby Driver, Scott Pilgrim vs. the World. I can't wait to see this movie. I think it's going to be really good. I don't know the plot lines of it yet or anything like that because there hasn't really been any type of talk with this movie. So I'm I'm excited to actually see what this is actually going to bring. Then October 16th, Halloween Kills. And after that, it's going to be another sequel (laughs) because that's actually how it's going to be worked out a year later. And... I'm not sure if the last one is actually the last one after Halloween Kills is actually going to be where Michael winds up coming up on top, where he winds up finally killing Laurie, and now he can finally rest and go back to his old crummy house. I don't know, but I'm going to say this: I enjoyed the last last year's 
Halloween movie. I really enjoyed it. All except the ending I felt like was anticlimactic, especially with the whole entire scene with him in the basement. And I feel like this. I wanted more of a scene where Lori is has these traps around her house and she's having to actually take them down with these traps. It's a face-off between them two. And I really didn't get that payoff like I wanted to with this last Halloween movie. But other than that, though, it was actually a pretty solid good movie, especially whenever they're bringing these legacy characters back, too. Because even in Halloween Kills, they're bringing back legacy characters that we haven't seen in a long time. And I really want to see this movie. And then also, too, what they did with this new one, too, what they did with this new Dr. Loomis character and stuff like that was kind of threw me for a loop to the point where it took me out of the movie for a little bit. But other than that, like I said, it's a good movie. I enjoyed it for what it was, but the ending was anticlimactic. And then there's the wrong turn reboot that's going to be coming out. And this is the seven, it's actually seven films in the franchise. I saw the first one, didn't really feel like I needed to see the rest of them. So, hey, if you guys saw all seven of these films, I'm happy for you guys. After the first one, I was like, you know what? I don't need to see six more of these films. I'm good. Same thing with the Wrong Turn reboot movie. I really have no interest in seeing a Wrong Turn at all. But, hey, if you guys are, go on ahead and check it out. And then we have Army of the Dead, which is actually Zack Snyder's direct-to-Netflix movie. And he did a really good job with Dawn of the Dead, what, what he did with that movie. So I'm excited to actually see what he's going to be doing with Army of the Dead. And then, these are actually movies that don't have any release dates with the Wrong Turn reboot and then the Army of the Dead. And then the Child's Play TV series we have. And then, they're, of course, they're doing two more movies. And I really haven't seen the remake of it to actually say if, if it's actually worth making two more movies out of. So, there's that. <laughs> so, those are the movies that are coming out in 2020 for horror movies. Now, I'm going to be talking about the Sixth Underground movie. Now, this is actually one of those movies that came out on Netflix yesterday. I remember watching the trailer. I was really sold and psyched up on the trailer. And I was like, you know what? This is actually a smart move on Netflix. Netflix pretty much gave Michael Bay a bunch of play money. Here, here's your money. Go off and make things explode. And what does he do? He does exactly what Netflix wanted him to do with the money. And... Basically, what you have is you have Ryan Reynolds, who's this rich guy, who winds up bringing the, these people in. And what winds up happening is they all wind up hiding out after some stuff that ha happens, and they all are presumed dead. So they're doing stuff behind the scenes while they're actually alive, but they're really supposed to be dead. And basically, Ryan Reynolds is like the Avengers, which is like your... Well, this will be his, the version of what Samuel L. Jackson's character is, which is Nick Fury bringing these characters together to where they can actually do this mission, and then, of course, they go into hiding. But the first 20 minutes of this movie is nothing but action, action, action. You have a car spinning around in Italy, and then you also have blotting gore whenever this car crashes and then a character winds up dying and stuff like that. I really didn't like this movie like I wanted to like this movie. I really was hoping that this would be more of a character-driven movie, and it really isn't. 
And then the flashbacks also, too, it's like flashback within a flashback within another flashback within another flashback. So you don't know which one's present. You don't know which one's uh, a flashback. You don't know any of that. And it leaves you confused to the point where it's like, why should I even care about this movie? And then it's also like this, too, if you think about it. It's like Michael Bay went on ahead and got Red Bull and snorted some cocaine. And he sniffed it, and then drank his Red Bull and goes, Woo! Let's go on ahead and make this movie now. I'm good. Let's go. Let's, I'm ready, Ryan. Let's go on ahead and make this movie. And I just felt like this movie is not worth my time to even watch over again. Because, I, like I said, I really wanted to enjoy this movie. I really wanted to like it. But the, everything was all over the place. And it was to the point where I feel like that it could have been better. And like I said before, I feel like that the second half is actually a lot more enjoyable because there's an actual plot happening rather than the first half where I actually feel like that he's actually doing his Michael Bayisms with his cocaine and his Red Bull and doing off-the-wall stuff. But, you know, I really didn't care for this film. As a matter of fact, I'm going to have to give this a 1 out of 5, which is actually the first time that I actually did a rating on this sh- on this whole entire show, which I rarely do, but hey, that's up to you for you guys to decide on if you guys like this movie or not. Not for me. So if you guys want to still check it out, check it out. Don't let me stop you. So that's going to be the show for today. But this is what I want to talk to you about too. On the movie page itself, we're actually doing a holiday face-off. Right now, we actually have Lethal Weapon versus Elf. Will Ferrell's Elf. Right now, Lethal Weapon is actually winning and beating Elf. So that this whole entire face-off with the uh, with Lethal Weapon and Elf is going to end on Wednesday, and then I'm going to be putting another movie in there for the another round. So go on ahead, check that out. Go on ahead and vote. I strongly rec- encourage you guys to do so. Check out the page for our movie news reviews and also our movie news as well. Go on ahead, check it out, give us a like. Let me know what you guys think about this show right here. And you can also send me on a voicemail and tell me what you guys like and what you guys didn't like. You can also even tell me, too, what... Well, as a matter of fact, you guys can even ask me some questions. So, go on ahead, shoot me a voicemail, and I'll go on ahead and answer all your questions on the next show. And until next time, bye-bye.